Did you hear about the importance of storytelling when it comes to conveying a compelling and impactful message? Did you also hear that a good storyteller is a person that is more charismatic and more inspiring? In this episode, we will speak about our inner storyteller. Because crafting a better story starts with the one you tell yourself. It's your story. And we will have a talk with Valerie Gordon, who is a 10-time Emmy Award-winning television producer with more than two decades in media creating and overseeing feature stories for top media outlets. She will share with us how we can take back ownership of our most important story, the one we tell ourselves. If that resonates with you, stay tuned and listen to this episode. Welcome to Charisma Hacks, the show where you get strategies, tools and mind training to learn to speak from your innermost conviction, to own who you truly are and to stand in your full power. I am Ulrike and I am wholeheartedly dedicated to empowering leaders to connect with their authentic self so that they can sparkle from the inside and lead and communicate with charisma. I am pleased to welcome today Valerie Gordon. She is a 10-time Emmy award-winning television producer with more than two decades in media creating and overseeing feature stories for top media outlets. She knows how to use the power of a meaningful, memorable story for impact and influence. As founder of the Commander-in-She LLC, a communications and career strategy firm, Valerie helps high-achieving women take command of the storytelling skills necessary to grow their careers and ascend the leadership ladder. Valerie, very pleased to have you here today. Thank you um, so much for having me. <laughs> I would like to ask you a question. How did you come up with the need for what you're doing today? Well, I've been trained to tell a great story. And that's what I did for many years in the corporate world was I put stories on television. And at the same time, while working in the corporate world, I was very passionate about helping women advance because I saw too many talented, high achieving women fall back, drop back, or just not get where they thought they were going to do. Many of them chose to opt out or downgrade their careers or go into business for themselves, which is ultimately what I decided to do. But I reached a point in my corporate career where I was looking for what what's next? You know, you reach that point in your life where you think, really, what am I meant to do? And I really didn't know what the answer to that was. I just knew that I felt like I was at the start of a new great story and that the story was going to be up to me. And that's where I decided to combine my love of storytelling, what I knew about what makes a story so impactful, with my passion for helping women advance. And I created my first workshop called What's Your Story? Storytelling Strategies for Success and started doing it while I was still working. And then ultimately decided to turn that into a full-time business. So I founded Commander and She, my career in communication strategy firm back in 2017. And now I work with corporations training their workforce so that they can create greater gender equity at all levels. And I work with audiences and clients. I speak at conferences and run workshops on how to harness the power of our own stories for our career success and satisfaction. And as you know, through the work you do on your podcast, so much of that story starts with our mindset, with the stories we tell ourselves. 
Yeah, exactly. That's the focus of Charisma Hacks. Mindset is a crucial foundation to develop more charisma, to communicate with more impact, because whatever you convey to the outside, first of all, it happens on your inside. And usually we speak about the thoughts that we have or the inner critic or the whole chatterbox, which we have inside of ourselves. But you have a specific word for that. And I found this very compelling when I was reading your book. Can you tell us more? Yes. So I call that our inner narrator. And my book is called Fire Your Narrator, A Storyteller's Guide to Getting Out of Your Head and Into Your Life. That's because I've almost pictured this voice in my head, you know, the type, the one that criticizes you when you make a mistake or remembers old mistakes or worries about the future. I call that voice my narrator because she kind of provides that voiceover throughout my day. She's always, always watching. And when you think about that inner narrator providing that consistent narration, what it does is it creates your narrative point of view or the way you look at the world. So if you are someone, for example, who always feels like nothing she does is ever good enough, you will always notice the times that nothing you do is good enough and forget about or avoid, ignore all the times that you do something really great. But I call it a narrator because everything I do is based in storytelling and narrative point of view is one of the key elements to how a story is told. It's basically the tone of the story. So if you think of this voice in your head as friend or foe, they create the tone for that inner story, how you feel about yourself. And that inner story, of course, impacts our external results. Now, what you explain about the narrator is also that there's not just one, because often we think, yeah, I have this inner voice, this one inner voice, and it's saying this and that, sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative, but you identify 10 types of narrators. Right, exactly. And I did this from speaking with dozens of clients and hundreds of audience members over the last four years. I would listen to the stories they would tell themselves. And we always think of this as the inner critic, right? We have this voice in our head that is very harsh, that says things to ourselves that we would never say to someone else. But that's just one of the 10 narrative types, because in speaking with all these other people, I was able to categorize the thoughts they say they say to themselves. And I said that not all of them are related to the inner critics. Some are quite different. So the book allows the reader to map out, to explore these different voices and map their own inner narrator. Again, that's the tone or tenor of the inner story. And as they go through the exercise of learning about the 10 different types, most people find that they have maybe two or three dominant types and then some others as secondary characteristics. But to give you an example, some of the most common ones of the 10, of course, the inner critic is really the most common, particularly for high achieving women. We tend to be um, so critical of ourselves. But some others that are very common, one is the ruminating narrator. So this might be if you have a voice in your head that doesn't let go of past mistakes or opportunities maybe that you feel you missed, you know, that coulda, woulda, shoulda. Or if you, like me, sometimes wake up in the middle of the night thinking about a mistake you made, not just last week, but oh, three years ago. You know, those thoughts, repetitive thoughts that get in our way, because we're stuck in the past, we can't create a greater future chapter. Another very common narrative type that I see a lot with my women clients uh, is the people-pleasing narrator. So this is that voice in your head that will tell you that it is selfish to put yourself first, 
that saying no feels really uncomfortable, that you should take care of everyone else's needs before your own. You're always on the lookout for how can you be of help to your boss, your family, your friends. And it almost feels, it tells you you're selfish if you take time out for yourself. And the third most common type that I see quite often with high achieving women is what I call the striving narrator. So this would be the voice in your head that tells you that you're just not good enough, that your past accomplishments, sure, that was fine, but what comes next? And in some ways, this is a very ambitious voice that can help us, that can make us more productive or drive us to success. But it can also hold us back when, let's say, if you're someone who has a hard time celebrating your achievements because you feel like, okay, I've done that, but now that I've done it, it's not that big of a deal. Maybe you have a hard time taking compliments because you're always future focused looking on the next great thing. So those are examples of just a few of the narrative types explored in the book. And then I go on to explain why you can have more than one narrative type and how to turn the volume down on some of those instincts, those voices that aren't helping you. And we will go into these <laughs> pieces of advice very soon now. But I can relate very well to what you're saying. It's the striving narrator is very familiar to me. And I realized that it made my career at the end. It did because, yes, I had so many expectations for myself and I wanted to always be perfect and do everything very well. But no matter how successful the achievement was, I was never satisfied with myself. There was never this true inner celebration and happiness because I always always saw the 2% that weren't perfect. So it's a driver of success indeed, but it's not a driver for happiness. This, this, this is time. so true. And I, and I completely relate to that because my narrator has a very strong striving tendency. And so we really need to take a step back and decide before we're looking ahead, you know, we've climbed the mountain. We should take a moment to celebrate that climb before we're looking ahead for the next peak, the next biggest accomplishment. And a lot of strivers, it sounds like what you're talking about, tend to have perfectionistic tendencies. And this makes us very, very good at what we do. We are strong performers. We deliver. We're very ambitious. We can be counted upon. But we're also very likely to experience burnout or dissatisfaction. So if you have a striving narrator, the key really is to use it to reach your potential without burning yourself out. Mm -hmm. With the other two types, the ruminator and the people pleaser, both have the tendency to step in in crucial situations. When someone, for example, goes into a meeting, a very important project meeting, I use this very often as an example because people tend to get nervous about this. <laughs> They have to do something like that. And you are aware of these narrators. Yeah, you know that, oh, I made mistakes and it didn't work out. And I had the same situation half a year ago and I couldn't get my project through. And then you also go there with the intention to say, okay, if they want to drop on me even more tasks and more work, I will say no this time. Yeah, you come with this intention that you think is positive for you. And you have it all right in your head before you go there. But the very moment when you're standing in front of the crowd and you start speaking, suddenly your inner narrator's pop up and they speak very, very loud and they completely knock you out where you were mentally before. Do you have some first tips to give us how we can avoid this kind of situation? 
Right. Well, first, I think to accept that this is perfectly normal. You know, one of my positions I teach at University of Connecticut, and I teach a career development class for students who are looking for their first internship and for their first job after graduation. And I had a talk with a women in business club about sort of their ambition. And, you know, when did they feel most anxious? The, the talk was about positive, confident communication. And they talked about the times when they felt not very confident, like, going on an interview or speaking up in front of a large group of people, public speaking. But the first thing to do is to accept that these are stressful situations. So if you are feeling anxious about them, if your inner narrator starts chatting away and, you know, sort of running with a story and worrying, that's actually a perfectly normal response to a stressful situation. So whatever your narrative tendencies are, they're going to be exacerbated under stress, under challenge. But one of the things I would say, and one of the tips I give in the book, and it's the reason I titled the book, the subtitle is get out of your head and into your life, because we are so often focused on that inner story without even realizing other people don't see that. You know, so you help your listeners with the tips and tools for confident communication. And oftentimes those worries in our head, the overthinking, the ruminating narrator, the striving narrator, that overly critical narrator, no one else knows we're having those thoughts, but it's like mind clutter to us. And when we have that kind of swirliness in our head or those worries, it can then impact the external story that we are creating. So one of the first tips that I have is just to recognize that your inner narrator is speaking because of about the circumstance or situation that you are in. And to recognize that stressful situations will do that. So when I start feeling stressed or if I've made a mistake, and this happened recently where I actually missed a podcast appearance. I had neglected to put it on my calendar. And I got an email from the host saying, did you forget about our meeting today? And immediately my narrator, all these voices came in my head. The first was, no, I didn't. You know, it was almost like this. I have, there's another narrator called the adamant narrator, which thinks that it's always right and everyone else is wrong. And that was my first reaction. No, I didn't. And then I checked my email and I saw that, yes, I had agreed to this time to interview with them. And immediately the critical narrator jumped in with that you really messed this up. How could you forget this? This was important. And then the next thing I started doing was overthinking. There's also an overthinking narrator of what should I do now? Oh no, I've ruined my opportunity here and my entire professional brand is ruined. I call that the runaway narrator. When you just run with the story to doomsday, it was almost like all of these voices creating a story in my head that was entirely unproductive. So I have sort of a three-step process in that stressful moment of calming down. And the first literally is just to say, stop, stop or pause. Before we jump into that next chapter and run with the worry and the overthinking, stop for a moment and take a breath. And the second is to objectively look at what are the facts here? So while I might be saying to myself, that critical narrator might say, oh, you're so stupid. How could you forget that? Really the objective facts are you missed a meeting. That's it, you missed a meeting. And then the next step would be to name the emotion. So oftentimes just taking that pause, whether you're in the meeting, giving the presentation and you're worried, or you realize you made a mistake, you missed an important appointment, then name the emotion to yourself. So for me in that moment, I was feeling dismayed. I was angry with myself. I was a little embarrassed. And naming the emotion again, grounds you in the present 
so that you can then decide what you want to do in the future. And then the questions I like to ask are, okay, so what? So what are the implications of what happened here? Well, I might have jeopardized this relationship to do this interview. And the next question is now what? What do you want to do now? Because that now what separates the current dilemma from the future story? What do you want to happen next? So in this case, I had to immediately email the host to apologize, own my part of the mistake, let her know I understood that I might have missed an opportunity, but if she was willing to reschedule, I would love to be able to have the opportunity to speak with her. And in fact, I not only recorded that podcast yesterday when we rescheduled for, but I also brought this up as a story about how you can write a book on how to fire your narrator and give tips to people about how to calm down that inner story, but it doesn't mean that you won't struggle with it yourself. You identified in your example, three narrators in a row. <laughs> um, <laughs> is this something that you're doing in each situation where you have these narrators popping up? Is this, has this become automatic to you? And how long was the process to get there? It's so interesting, isn't it? This voice in our head has become so much a part of us that we don't even realize it's there. And so while I have a, several narrative types in my head, I have an inner critic with a strong tendency towards rumination and striving. This is how I've mapped my own narrator. But it's just one person. It's just one voice. And in fact, one of the tips I give in the book that I use myself is to name your narrator. So I have named my inner narrator Squash because she shows up at really inopportune times to totally squash my confidence. So in this moment, as a story I just told about, you know, forgetting the appointment and feeling so bad about it, it wasn't like I had different voices in there. It was squash in my head, playing the role of the critic, playing the role of the runaway narrator. You've ruined, you know, every opportunity you've ever had, you know, berating me. And even at my first response, which was that adamant narrator of, no, I didn't. I didn't miss a meeting. So our inner narrator can have different narrative types, but it really is just one voice. So I encourage my readers after mapping your narrator as a process of separating it from who you actually are and what you want to do next to name that narrator. Because now the next time I make a mistake or I think about past mistakes or I don't feel good about my accomplishments because squash tells me they're not good enough, I can almost speak back to her, you know, squash, you're not helping. Let me let, settle down. Let me figure out what to do next. So thinking about that voice as your narrator and one that can be fired, that doesn't have to live in your head is the first step I say to rewriting your story. The idea is very compelling and certainly a very simple technique to get rid of some of the power of it, especially when it pops up right away in a situation where you really, really don't need it. <laughs> in your book, I saw as one of the tips on how to manage this narrator, how to manage what you call squash <laughs> for yourself. Yes. You had something that was compelling to me. You said you can recast that role. What do you mean by that? Sure. So if you were directing your story and you were in charge of casting this role in your head, why would I put squash in that most important place? You know, that area, the area between your ears, your brain, that's high real estate. So why are we giving it away to an unhealthy voice? And why have we carried that voice around for so many years? They're always going to be with us. I don't think you ever get rid of those critical thoughts or that voice, but you can turn the, the, the volume 
down on that narrator and give a little thought to, if you were to recast that role, who might you put in it? Who would you want in your head? So I often say, if that voice in your head sounds you know, less like your best friend, how you would talk to your best friend, and more like your worst critic, well, why would you allow your worst critic to be in your head. And I have replaced Squash, or I try to at least, when she shows up, I remind her she can be fired. And it's simple enough, I say in the book, um, all I've done is I've changed two letters from her name. If I take the SH off the back of Squash and I add a D, now I've got Squad. And I like to think of that like a squad of cheerleaders cheering me on, or the squad of uh, fierce warriors from the Black Panther movies. You know, those are the people I would like in my head to back to back me up. So just realizing that this voice in your head, though it's so much a part of you that you almost don't realize it's there, it can be changed. It takes, as you said, that moment of pause, stay in the present, stop thinking about the past, stop worrying about the future, stay in the present and decide, what do I want to do with this thought now? How is it serving me? And how might I rewrite it so what happens next is more in line with how I want to feel and what I want to do? So let me ask you this. If you were to give your inner narrator sort of a combination of all those thoughts, a name, do you have one in mind? I don't have a word that I can play with like you did with the letters. I think I would give it a name of of, a human being, a normal Mm -hmm. human name, or what I would do probably because I would need some time somehow to feel it in a different way, to feel it like a persona. What I do to find that out, I would just, when a voice pops up like this, try to make this step back, but then really connect with it at the same time. So that I can somehow feel it in my body. I always try to look into it because somehow you feel it maybe even in a place in your body, in your heart or in your throat, most likely maybe the narrator comes there, pops up there. And that helps me to look at it. And then usually my subconscious sends me a message means this is a star, this is a stone, this is whatever, a flower can be something completely stupid and unrelated, a biscuit or I don't know, cookie, (laughs) can be whatever. But whatever pops up for me is then the name because it's my subconscious giving me this information. And I think what you did by giving it a name is exactly the same thing. That means by making a metaphor out of it, you connect with your subconscious. And this is actually where it happens. Your subconscious triggers all of this narrative that is popping up. And by this, you can connect to it. And this is why I like it very much this idea of the persona, because I think it's powerful and simple at the same time. Yes. And thinking of it as a different character in the story, almost like this evil villain in your head that doesn't need to be there, separates it from you. So you'll find it interesting that when I run this exercise and I run this uh, Fire Your Narrator is a workshop that I run at conferences and with different professional organizations. When I ask everyone in the audience to name their inner narrator after I introduce them to Squash, and it is a variety of different names, but they do, many of them come up with human names. And the most popular one, oddly, is Bob. I don't know why. It just seems in every audience, someone says, oh yes, mine's Bob. And it just, it's whatever pops in their head, but it does help. And studies will, studies have shown that even speaking to ourselves in the third person, such as you've got this is a confidence builder. So creating this character or persona out of this voice in your head does help separate it from you. And then allows us, as I'm sure you work so often with trusting then our gut instincts, the voice that the inner voice that comes from the right place and not from old or outdated stories that we keep recycling in our head. 
Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Another question. Can you truly fire this narrator or can you only put him or her on garden leave? <laughs> I think on leave. That's what I, I don't think squash is ever going away. But I do think now when I think of her, it's a little more with endearment. I do explore in the book as well that the narrator serves a purpose. I mean, there's a reason it's there and it's because it thinks it's protecting us. This is basically our inner thoughts criticizing us or ruminating or worrying because it thinks it's keeping us safe. It's just that it's gone on hyperactive alert. So by at least recognizing that the thoughts are there to be helpful and yet they've become unhelpful, allows us some control over them. And I'll give you a good idea about how squash is, of course, always with me. I was going for a run the other day. I'm not a very good runner. I'm pretty slow. I was with a group. Immediately, you know, we start out together, but maybe a quarter mile in, I'm lagging behind and I can see everybody's backs, you know, getting further and further away from me. And Squash jumps in my head. And what does she say? She says, uh, you're so slow. Why are you here? You know, you're so bad at this. Why'd you eat all that ice cream yesterday? I mean, she's in my head and she's judging me and, and to her in my head, because it might be strange to say it out loud, but I can acknowledge that these thoughts are not helpful. And I, in my head, I can say, Squash, you are not helping right now. And I can replace the thought with, I'm out here. I am doing it. I am going to finish. Again, sort of those very neutral statements. It doesn't make me any faster. It doesn't make the run any easier, but it certainly quiets that negative voice that really has no business accompanying me on the run. Would this be the very first thing that you can advise that people can do when they want to start to identify this narrator? Absolutely. I think through the book, you can identify what's your narrative type. I think most people will find some have said, hey, I feel like I have all 10. Is that possible? And I do think it is possible. You usually have one dominant type. So to recognize through the descriptions in the book, yes, that sounds like me. And then follow the tips to know how to quiet the voice and replace the thought. And the first step, of course, is in that moment, as you said, get present name the emotion, think about what you're saying to yourself, but naming the narrator certainly helps and unpacking and reframing the stories it is telling you. I tell everyone, you are the active author of your own story. No one else is in charge of this thing. You know, so often we're waiting for someone to tell us what happens next. Well, we get to decide that, but you can't create a great external story if you're really struggling with an inner story. It all has to start there. I often equate it to shopping at Target or any big box store where you buy all the stuff you didn't mean to buy. You just fill your cart with all this stuff. That's like how we hold on to stories. It's like we're pushing around this cart full of all these stories and memories and bad things that happened and we hold on to that. And maybe sometimes the goal is just to unpack that cart, all those stories in our brain and decide, is this one really worth holding on to? Or can I rewrite it? or just start a new one. Because ultimately we are responsible for what happens in the future, but we can't do that if we're stuck in the past re revisiting a story that is unhelpful to us. And by this stepping into our true power of authenticity and charisma, actually. Thank you very much. These were very, very interesting insights. Apart from your book, is there another place where people can get more information? 
Yes, thank you so much. So the, you can find more information about the book at fireyournarrator.com. The book is available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. And you can also follow me. My website is commanderinshe.com. And I have information there about workshops and free webinars that I do. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at commanderinshe as well as Twitter at Commander and She. And I spend a lot of time as well on LinkedIn for the professional work, di work I do, Valerie J. Gordon. And I would love to hear from people about their narrator, what they might name her or him, and what thoughts they have that can be rewritten. I think that stories are our most powerful connection tools. And I'm so thankful today to have the opportunity to connect with you and allow our stories to combine and hopefully play a part in your listeners' stories as well. I'm sure you do. Thank you very much, Valerie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Charisma Hacks. If you want to level up your profile and become a charismatic leader able to communicate, engage and motivate in an inspiring and authentic way, you've come to the right place. Subscribe now to this show or reach out to me and get more strategies, tools, and mind training to sparkle from the inside.